G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Back on home soil, and this episode was recorded up in Gundawindi at the beginning of January. And now, I don't think I say this very often, but I genuinely think in the 220-something episodes that we've done so far, this one is well and truly up there with one of the most extraordinary stories, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Today, I'm sitting down with Nigel Corrish. He's a farmer from the Gundawindi area up in southern Queensland. He's got properties in northern New South Wales as well. Now, I don't even know where to start with Nigel. He's a Nuffield scholar. He's the chair of Ability Agriculture. He's a father of three kids, and part of his story is that he was born with cerebral palsy. It's shaped so much of his life and outlook and has fostered in him a drive to be adaptive and think outside the box. In this week's episode, Nigel talks about the moments of frustration, the desire to be normal, and when he learned to embrace and acknowledge his disability, how it actually could become a bit of a superpower. Why I say that is not only is he absolutely kicking goals, he's an extraordinary person, but he has been named in his early 30s Cotton Grower of the Year. The following year, he was Young Australian Farmer of the Year. He's a Nuffield Scholar. He is so incredibly humble and passionate, and I'm so excited for you guys to listen to it. So let's get into it. Nigel Corrish, I've been an observer from the sidelines, seen, seen your name pop up in various places, but I need to flag, there's a whole lot of your story that I'm not aware of, and I'm really excited to find out a whole lot more about it. But here's my couple of notes. 2020, tw- uh, 2012, Cotton Grower of the Year. Yep. 2013, Young Australian Farmer of the Year. Nigel, if, if we were meeting down the pub for the first time, how would you introduce yourself to me? Um, pretty quiet sort of guy. Um, Ollie, so he certainly wouldn't uh, mention that I'd sort of won those accolades or awards. I'm pretty, pretty humble um, sort of person. So I'm very passionate about agriculture and farming. So if we met each other first time down at the pub, we'd be certainly uh, talking about farming and agriculture and sort of what we do on farm and so forth. And more so getting to know you and sort of what your past and history is about. So I just love getting to know people and learning about their story as well. And I think we can cover maybe just some of the different people that have influenced you and in the different places you've been through the Nuffield Scholarship and, and various other in community groups and organisations you've been involved in. But first up, tell us a little bit about the Gundawindi area, your family um, and, and what you guys are doing up here. Yep. Uh, so a uh, very unique uh, situation, Ollie. We're sort of born and bred in Gundawindi and lived here all my life. And particularly with the uh, family that all my siblings are involved in agriculture, uh, so all farming, actively farming. So I think that's quite unique in its own. So the Gunnawinna community has been fantastic to us um, since we've lived here. And uh, family moved here in 1979. Uh, they moved up from Maury. They were share farming there for a few years. And I guess our background is from sort of central New South Wales, sort of Dunedoo, Dubbo area. Um, yeah, right. So came up here to Gundawindi, uh, bought Mundine, uh, which is the family property. Uh, it was a grazing property uh, back then, and uh, my parents were actively looking at sort of converting it to dry land cropping. Uh, then fortunate enough along the way, I met some really good people uh, getting involved in the cotton industry. So I uh, looked at uh, developing some irrigated cotton uh, country, and that was in 1982, was our first uh, cotton crop. And I guess they say the rest is history. It's just been a phenomenal journey and ride for the family. I've uh, been very successful 
and been able to support uh, the family up until now. So it's been really good. And the Gundawindi community has had a huge role to play in that. And I think what I've learned uh, growing up over the years is giving back the, to the community is so important. And it is definitely a special community. I think we've only been here for a week or so, but God, I feel like I've been adopted by Gundawindi. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just so, so unique that Gundawindi is uh, solely basically uh, farming or agriculture uh, dominant. So there's no real other uh, industries here in town. So it's all all based around agriculture and the supporting industries. So whether that's manufacturing, uh, also health uh, plays a huge part in Gundawindi. So doctors, uh, dentists, et cetera. And then we've also got the accountants, um, et cetera, the solicitors in town. It's just so such a unique um, community that everyone supports each other. And so you, you mentioned that all your siblings, so two older brothers and a twin sister, is that right? Yep, yep, that's right. And Obviously, everyone's still in that. Yep, yep. So Simon, uh, my oldest brother, he's he's uh, farming with my brother Brett. Uh, they're in partnership on the home property now. Um, Aaron's uh, married to Alex and they've got a farm out at Mungandai. And then myself and Ness, uh, my wife, uh, farming up at Condamine now, so... Yeah, lovely. Keeping you busy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about, um, yeah, the childhood, the the four of you running around the farm. What, what did it look like? Oh, it was, it was amazing um, childhood sort of experience growing up in the, in the country, Ollie. Um, just having that wide open spaces, having, having the environment to uh, live in. So um, spent a lot of time fishing on the river, water skiing. At Burbara Lagoon, um, sort of just spending a lot of time uh, riding around the farm on motorbikes, mustering, um, those sorts of things, um, sort of going down the paddock, um, watching the machinery, watching the sunsets at, at picking time and so forth are some of my greatest sort of memories as a child and also um, living in a really good community. So our sport was a big part of our sort of childhood. So whether that was cricket or junior rugby, um, those sorts of things were very special as well. To the outside observer, it, it sounds like that, that lifestyle hasn't really changed if I'm thinking about the weekend you just had as well. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So um, very fortunate enough that we're bringing our kids up exactly the same way, whether that's sort of water, water skiing, junior sport, um, so forth. They're um, getting some amazing opportunities sort of growing up in the country. So, so Nige, um, I guess there's a few different parts of your story. I think Nuffield we'll get to, um, but I know, um, that you, you grew up, you're, you're born with cerebral palsy. Yep. Um, how, how did you go as a young fella growing up in a rural community? Was it challenging? It was Ollie, but I was very uh, lucky to be in a unique situation where I was born with cerebral palsy. So I was very lucky that I didn't know any difference. Uh, growing up, but in saying that, it still was very, very challenging, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later. But it certainly had a major effect on my life. Um, the big thing to me that at a young age I just felt so different, uh, and that included sort of being pulled out of uh, school to get a lot of treatment. So whether it was physiotherapy or speech therapy, I'd spend at least sort of uh, sort of one or two hours sort of every second or third day outside of the classroom. So from that point of view, I felt very different um, and sort of isolated to a certain degree that I wasn't part of the sort of main group of the kids in the class. But in saying that, I could keep up and 
I wasn't the best at cricket or wasn't the best at uh, rugby league, but I certainly had a go and they always included me to be part of the, um, be part of it. And that was, that was pretty special. And certainly a lot of people went out of their way to make sure that I was okay and sort of part of the, um, part of the group and enjoying myself. So yeah, I had a great childhood, even though I had uh, cerebral palsy, a lot of frustrations, a lot of, along the way. Uh, water skiing was probably one of my biggest uh, frustrations. It probably took me sort of two or three years of sort of attempt after attempt and probably over, I don't know, probably 200 attempts at sort of trying to get up and um, yeah, just just being so frustrated at myself, but just persistence and patience really shows that it does pay off and I'll never forget the first day I was be able to get up uh, water skiing and um yeah it was pretty special um even to the small things like tie my own shoelace I couldn't do um so forth until I was about 15 or 16 years of age so those little things were very frustrating uh for me but um yeah very much able to live a normal active life and one of the biggest I guess achievements I thought at a very young age was when my parents bought me a uh, motorbike when I was, I think it was my 12th uh, birthday. And that was a game changer in my lifetime because up until that stage, because there was a right-hand throttle on the motorbike, I could never ride a two-wheeled uh, motorcycle. So it was just a sort of very big frustration in my life. And um, they came up with an idea of adapting a thumb throttle on the left-hand side. Ah, yeah. Um, which was just a game changer for me. It allowed me to sort of ride around the farm and sort of ride around with my, with my brothers and sister and friends. And it was just such a great experience. And it learnt, I'd certainly learnt at a young age, that certainly adaptivity and sort of adoption of sort of things you can do thinking outside the box was very important. So that's certainly something I've carried through life as well. And it meant that you had your own motorbike too, that no one else was going to take. Yep. Yep. Certainly, <laughs> certainly did. So I want to come back and chat to that. Cause I think, um, I think what would be fascinating is, is, is it this determination and kind of the grit that you had, whether it was water skiing or playing yep. cricket or whatnot. And it's certainly something I've learned, um, over recent period with my work with ability agriculture, that determination, um, that sort of thinking differently which uh, disabled people um, have, which is, I think is a phenomenal asset. Yeah. And I think, well, and this is where the diversity comes in in so many different ways. Like I was having a conversation with someone recently and to m the way I was thinking was like, well, here's the example. I was running late to Moria Airport to pick up Hannah. Welcome to the <laughs> surprise, team, Hannah. Surprise, <laughs> and, um, and I was like, oh, I'll just organise someone else to pick her up and take her to the pub for a beer. Yep. In my head, I was thinking that's great. Someone said to me, they were like, Ollie, like, um, it's the first day on the job, a stranger picking her up. Like, do you think? And I just thought, fire out. Like, that blind spot of mine has just been picked up straight away. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like, that is, for me, such a simple example. But then this is where these conversations and why it's so important in agriculture that we have the, the groups, but also the space where it's like, yeah, have the input into the conversation because my blind spots, you'll pick up things and- Ultimately, we're all better for it. No, that's exactly right. You mentioned like the the broader effect that cerebral palsy and and growing up with a disability has had on your life. Tell me more about that. Uh, basically, 
Um, I think you just living with it. You're obviously doing a lot of things um, along the way that other people aren't. So whether that's treatment, um, I was actually going down to Brisbane sort of on a monthly basis when I was growing up um, and putting in that extra effort, I think really made me uh, think that I guess the effort and the things you put in in life, you'll get back in return. Um, so certainly at a young age, the determination of um, of actually whether simple as uh, doing daily um, exercises, um, so forth, that I had to do growing up and, and still do, that it really gives you a determination that you need to put in in 100, 110% effort um, and really uh, give back to to yourself, but also the community as well. So it's certainly something um, I've always been um, sort of in the back of my mind is always to give 110% whatever you do, but also giving back to the community as well. And that's what sort of cerebral palsy and um, sort of being disabled has allowed me to sort of achieve or be be part of my life um, over my lifetime. Nigel, I'd love to know, what have you learned about being kind and not being too hard on yourself? Um, very good question, Ollie. And this probably leads me to sort of one of my big sort of life changing events in my lifetime, which was sort of having a mental breakdown when I was sort of about 24 years of age and getting diagnosed with um, depression. So basically um, you you hit the nail on the head when you say acceptance uh, with yourself and um, up until that age, I didn't. I really put a lot of pressure on myself that I had to keep up and had to be uh, normal to a certain degree. Um, the big thing was that around that sort of late teenagers, early 20s is when I couldn't keep up um, with with my friends and um, whether like particularly playing uh, rugby or um, so forth at that stage where suddenly... Um, yeah, I just felt very isolated because I couldn't keep up with my friends. And um, we all know, sort of particularly after playing rugby, that, you know, it takes a week to recover um, from a game where it was literally taking me sort of two or three weeks to recover because my body was that sort of sore and sorry for itself that um, basically I just couldn't couldn't do it anymore. And at the same time, I was living uh, by myself on the farm and it just a lot of internalised things um, wasn't wasn't good. I was always down on myself, uh, particularly with my disability, particularly working on farm, doing the physical activities where sort of whether it was changing points on a planner or changing um, sort of shear pins on the um, ripper, I couldn't do, or I could do those things, but it was took me a lot longer and I just got so frustrated uh, with myself uh, doing it, which which sort of led to a uh, breakdown, unfortunately, and um, which led to sort of depression for a period of time. And it wasn't, it was probably for my uh, parents that really noticed the sort of situation I was in. And it wasn't until I started seeing a psychologist and really reflecting back on my childhood. And it wasn't until that stage of my life where I realized I'd put so much pressure on myself to be normal. I haven't really accepted that I'd had a, a disability and wasn't sort of comfortable talking about it and so forth. And it, once I accepted that, it was sort of my life changed uh, forever, which was 
Witch's brain and I guess the rest is history after that. So asking for help can be so important and so freeing. And as you say, that, that weight off your shoulders. Um, someone who had has had a huge impact on your life has been your twin sister. So tell me a little bit about like what it was like growing up with the twin and how, how did you guys, I guess, work together and, and what's that relationship like? Yeah, that's a very good question, Ollie. Uh, so Erin, my twin sister, um, very interesting enough, uh, when I was about three or four months of age, uh, I wasn't diagnosed with cerebral palsy until I was about six months of age, I think. And the first thing my parents uh, noticed was Erin uh, starting to do things for me. So uh, sort of hand things to me or sort of um, just do things uh, for me. Then, And that hasn't really changed uh, for the rest of our lives. So Erin was very good and very close sort of um, talking for me, sort of standing up, um, sort of doing a lot for me. Um, she was certainly the leader of the pack um, when we were growing up. So very important person in my life and did a lot for me um, growing up, uh, particularly through childhood, which was just fantastic. Um, and quite interesting enough, we're very close. So my parents will, will both plan to go off to boarding school and they actually sent Aaron off uh, a year early just so they could allow some separation and sort of for me to uh, get some worldly knowledge and independence for myself before I headed off to boarding school. So, uh, but it certainly, I think all twins have a, such a special relationship uh, with their twin because you spend so much time together. And there is certainly a sixth sense um, sort of thing going on where sort of when she's down and out or had had some significant um something happen though i certainly can tell and sort of uh, know when to reach out which is just fantastic so very lucky to have a twin in your life so an amazing connection i think um you mentioned a few times about this this the pressure on yourself to be normal but i think um if you look at i guess the achievements and accolades you've got like Everyone's unique. There's nothing that's, yeah, absolutely. that's normal. And I remember growing up, Ollie, one of the, I guess, defining moments was that we used to do a lot of uh, club swimming and used to go around to all the different competitions around Southern Queensland and never won anything or never sort of got on the on the podium. And we went up to a swimming carnival, Oki, and um, fortunate enough, there was only three people in the, in the breaths. I think I was 15 meter um, breaststroke and thought, you beauty, this is my perfect <laughs> opportunity. I'm going to finally get on a podium. I didn't care if it was, it was going to be third. I just wanted so desperately to be on the podium. Anyway, lo and behold, I uh, did the race. I wasn't too far behind the other competitors, but I was just so happy that I was going to get third and be able to get on the podium. Anyway, <laughs> after the race, the official came up to me and disqualified me no. So not doing the correct uh, stroke, and I was just so devastated. And something that sort of a life lesson that you, uh, for me, that was that um, you just need to be so accepting and so because he was just doing his job, he was just um, sort of doing his thing. And here I was so so desperate to to just get on the podium. So it was just great for me to, um, I guess, have those setbacks at a young age and really have an understanding of sort of what other people's thoughts and um, ideas are to be accepting of all people and that you are sort of running your own race to a certain degree. So 
and sometimes the rules aren't in your favour. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. So what was it like when you got the accolades? 2012, um, Cotton Grower of the Year, 2013, Young Australian Farmer. Yep. Uh, so, There's only one of them each year. So uh, definitely the Cotton uh, Farmer of the Year was certainly a big surprise to me. And certainly being so young, I think I was the youngest person ever to receive that award. I think 2012, um, just trying to think what age I would have been. Um, got my, uh, 11 years ago. Yeah, 11 years ago. So I was uh, about 30, 30 years of age. And it was, yeah, it was so awarding just to be um, sort of recognised by the peers in your industry because I've, I've held the sort of leaders and of the cotton industry with such high respect and to sort of be in their presence and be recognised by that sort of group of people was, was yeah, sort of very, very humbling. Um, I have to thank sort of the likes of Ben Colton. Um, so they, he was the local Cotton Growers Association um, chair. Um, I'd been sort of on the local committee for about three or four years and he just threw me he wanted to step down because he was uh, moving up to uh, be on the board of Nemoy Cotton. So literally threw me into the chair of uh, the local Cotton Growers Association. And that was certainly a defining uh, moment in my life as well because suddenly I was responsible and accountable for a group of, of probably about 40 or 50 growers in the local uh, McIntyre um, Valley. Um, here I was sort of representing them and that was that was in about two thousand and um, seven eight that I took that um, sort of position on, and yeah, that was certainly a game changer. That suddenly here I was because I'd always, particularly with my cerebral palsy, I've always been sort of quiet, sort of not a leader um, whatsoever, and that sort of propelled me into a position where I had to be a leader and had to sort of represent uh, these growers. Um, whether it was locally, uh, at a state level or national level. And that was, that was certainly very rewarding. And I was um, chair of the um, local CGA for about six years, and that was sort of a very rewarding experience. And um, again, one of the key lessons I learned out of that is sort of giving back to the community and local people. And also the more you put in and the more effort, you give to a position, the more you you get results, the more you get um, sort of things back, which is just fantastic. So that sort of experience sort of led me into the sort of grow of the year um, position. Uh, we're doing some really good things um, on the farm at that stage, particularly around sort of nitrogen trials um, and so forth, and getting some great sort of yield results and. Um, yeah, suddenly I was sort of propelled onto the national stage as sort of the cotton grow of the year. So, um, yeah, sort of very humbling and, um, yeah, very, very strange situation to be in at the time. So it, it sounds like this little period from say 2012 to 15 was probably like quite life defining yep. for the awards, but then also that was when your involvement with Nuffield came about. Yeah, absolutely. So I was first. I guess got introduced to Nuffield when uh, Tim Napier, um, my farm manager um, at the time, he was working with the family. He got awarded and went off overseas uh, to do his uh, scholarship. And I was uh, sort of 
got promoted into the manager's role while he uh, went off overseas. So certainly seeing the experience and the knowledge and um, what he got out of the scholarship, certainly it there was a light bulb moment to say, okay, I should really be doing that um, sort of down the track. And then I think it was about 2000, it was about 2014, um, I was on the Continent Australia General Committee um, and Continent Australia and the CRDC um, decided that they was going to start uh, sponsoring a scholarship. So I sort of had inside knowledge um, that sort of they were looking for someone. So that's um, sort of prompted me to put up my hand and um, really give it a go. So, um, and yeah, I'm very fortunate and lucky enough to receive the scholarship, uh, not knowing anything about sort of Nuffield and the history of Nuffield and thrown in the deep end again. And it was certainly a huge learning curve, but certainly one of the best experiences of my life. So Ooh, out of interest, what was your topic? Uh, so interest enough, I did nitrogen use in irrigated cotton, uh, which broadened out to be more of a sort of soil health, uh, project, um, around irrigated cotton in the end. So it was quite interesting just being rewarded sort of those accolades, the sort of in the last few, few years before, I thought I was a pretty good farmer and sort of, I thought I knew, sort of, thought I knew my shit, um, to, to a certain degree, Yeah. but certainly, um, I'm never forget I was up in uh, South Dakota, uh, with a guy called Dwayne Beck and I sort of introduced myself and, um, you know, he's, he's the guru of no-till farming and sort of, uh, um, guy I had to meet on my sort of travels and he, um, he just ripped shreds off me sort of for the first five minutes and I was just about to deck, deck him. I was so pissed <laughs> off that I'd sort of traveled sort of literally halfway across the world to meet this guy that was absolutely ripping shreds off me, telling, telling me that I couldn't farm and I had no, no future in farming and like really getting stuck into me. Yeah, right. but anyway, I stuck it out and it was probably the best thing I'd ever done. Again, it sort of looking at that sort of patience and accepting of people and, um, end up spending sort of two days with him touring around the research facility and local farms. And it's just certainly was another light bulb moment for me where it changed my sort of whole philosophy and idea of, um, sort of farming systems and sort of the holistic approach to farming where particularly for me. I went through university, did applied science and did, did an agronomy degree. And for me, it was all that sort of high technical, um, sort of how that yield improvement, so forth, where these, uh, researchers and farmers were taking a step back and sort of looking at that whole holistic approach to farming and certainly changed my sort of view on farming practices and how we should be doing things. So certainly a, a, a game changer for me. Farming in Australia is never without opportunity nor its challenges. From season to season and from day to day, producers manage a variety of risks and rewards as they produce the vast range of commodities global markets are now demanding. ANZ have been supporting Aussie farmers to take opportunities and manage through challenges for over 150 years. They're a proud and long-term partner of Nuffield Australia, supporting its goal of capacity building for producers, their businesses, industry and rural community. Their network of regionally based agribusiness bankers are ready to support both their existing customers 
and any farming businesses seeking a review of their banking arrangements at any time. Find your local ANZ Agribusiness Manager at anz.com. How do you go? Like, obviously, you're seeing all these different things, all these different ideas all around the world, um, but at the same time, you're still managing and running a business back at home that you don't turn up with this huge new wave of enthusiasm and ideas. Yep. So um, it's it's a very common experience that I think all scholars have is this, uh, first of all, actually um, building up the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to do this scholarship and spend so much time away from home. It was, it was very challenging. I had uh, two young kids at the time. So Harriet was only four and Will was only two. Um, and telling your wife that you're going to go off overseas, traveling around the world for sort of 14, 15 weeks, it doesn't go down well, Ollie. And it puts a lot of stress on a young family. Um, so it literally, I was about to pull out probably two or three times of the scholarship. I said, no, nah, I can't do it. It's just got, got too much on my plate. I and again, on the farming side, you, at that stage, I was so hands-on and wanting to grow the crop and wanting to be there sort of on a daily basis to make the decisions on on how we're going to grow this crop. Um, but that's what Nuffield's all about. It's pulling you out of your sort of daily routine, your um, sort of comfort zone, and really challenging yourself to become a leader. So allowing other people to step up and do the, do the, I guess the decision making that you've been making and, and spending that time away from home really allows you to, I guess, particularly manage your relationships and making sure that everything's in order, um, as well. So that was, that was very challenging. Uh, but once you're on the scholarship and, uh, sort of get into this routine, um, we, somehow it just all works. We certainly had some very challenging phone calls when I was overseas and, um, you know, we're doing all these exciting things and, um, traveling around the world and poor Ness was at home with a sick child or, uh, something is, is very challenging, but I think all that, I guess, emotion and all that, um, all the things you put, put into the scholarship you get rewarded back, um, which is, which is really good. So, um, so yeah, they're the things. And again, watching, I had a, um, really good young guy, um, Alex, who was sort of running the farm for me, um, while I was overseas. And to be honest, when I got back, I'd sort of didn't have a position, um, in the, in the farming operation because he was doing such a good job. Uh, without me. So that was very rewarding to see sort of these sort of people step up and, and do the things that um, you were doing previously. So Yeah, it sounds like you were forced to be working on the business, not in it. Yep, yep. And that's what Nuffield's all about, of, of course, sort of becoming a leader and um, giving you opportunity to or literally bringing the best ideas from around the world and um, introducing them back into your own business, but back into the community and industries across Australia. So, The other thing which you mentioned was about that three times you nearly pulled out. Um, for people who are probably in, and there'd be lots of people, young families feeling like that at like a crucible moment in the business and whatnot. Um, why, why didn't you pull out, but also too, maybe what did you learn by, yeah, sticking it through? I think it was just that gut instinct, Ollie. I think there's my... 
everything was telling me to pull out because, yeah, having two small children, uh, spending so much time away from the family, I literally could not imagine or see how it could work. I was, um, yeah, it's just that unique, bizarre position where I guess I had faith or belief that, okay, if I do throw myself into it, it's going to work out. And it wasn't the first one. Like, um, I think I'm number 314 in a sort of Nuffield scholarship, baggy green sort of um, <laughs> cap. And, you know, 300 people had done it uh, before me. So, um, you know, people people obviously do it. And I guess to be given the opportunity to travel overseas and around the world, you know, I just couldn't couldn't turn it down, um, basically. Um, particularly after university, I'd spent some time um, traveling around the world and learned from those experiences how much sort of knowledge and experience you can gain from visiting different cultures and countries that that appetite of sort of international travel um, sort of drew me in. Um, I guess at that stage, I did not realize, uh, I guess, the wonderful network, the wonderful organization and I guess the lifetime sentence that I was going to get out of being a Nuffield scholar. So, um, yeah, it's just, just a remarkable experience and anyone considering it, you know, I guess you just need that leap of faith and challenge yourself to, to do it. If, if, if there's that gut instinct, sort of something telling you to do it, um, yeah, you won't regret it. That's for sure. And so you're on the board of Nuffield Australia now, um, that, that decision to, keep giving back into as a volunteer to the organization what is it that makes it so special uh particularly nuffield um i didn't realize at the time during my scholarship i actually got back from my scholarship and i was actually burnt out and literally wanted nothing to do with the, with the organization um you, we did have to write a twelve thousand word report on our return turn travel so that was a, a sort of um, a negative aspect to the whole scholarship, but I did get through it and <laughs> to give me credit, um, like the likes of, um, yeah, sort of the, the old alumni that really support you when you get home. Um, we were talking about it before that you come back with all these exciting, um, sort of new ideas. And the first thing you want to do is implement it and sort of blow your farm up to sort of in- introduce all these crazy new ideas. And you've also got that whole um, experience of you've just had this amazing experience of traveling around the world, meeting some amazing people and your family, like um, Ness, my wife included, but also that your employees, um, the people in the community haven't had that same experience. So it's, it's a, quite a unique situation where they sort of lived the sort of day-to-day activities um particularly if it was dry or in drought so they've had their own struggles and here you are that's had this amazing experience and full of energy and full of life um so forth so it is certainly a a real struggle to um sort of fit back in to the community and sort of day-to-day um sort of activities after doing a scholarship so that's that's um quite quite um interesting to experience um and then getting back to, so I had sort of probably two or three years away from sort of Nuffield and didn't have much to do with it. They had the opportunity to get involved in the, I guess, the state um, Nuffield executive, which is really good. And 
um, I had the opportunity of starting to interview the applicants coming through, um, applying for next year's scholarship. And that just gave me an instant buzz of meeting new uh, people and um, meeting new people that are that passionate about agriculture as well, that it, I just, I was sort of had, had the fix then. I just had to be involved and it all came right back to sort of my early days with the uh, CGA and particularly um, my parents are big into this is giving back to the community and um, industry um, is so important. So that's what sort of motivated me to become involved with the uh, Nuffield executive. Um, and then uh, September last year got uh, nominated onto the board, which is just um, fantastic. So really looking forward to sort of guiding and leading Nuffield into the future. So Absolutely. No, excited to, to see and or follow that and see where it goes. I think, well, you talk about community and giving back. Um, a couple of years ago, a girl by the name of Josie Clark was, I guess, coming up with an idea of how do we make agriculture more accessible, more inclusive, um, especially for people with disabilities. She had her own experience with her father um, and and what she'd seen in the industry. You're the chair of Ability Agriculture today, the, the foundation. Yep. Um, how... How did that come about? But I guess, yeah, where's Ability Ag heading into the future? And and we know that like Murray Watt has put it on on the radar. I think it was the start of last year. He identified five kind of key groups of people that we really need to attract and retain in the agriculture sector, being um, young people, elderly people, Indigenous Australians, people with disabilities. There is a fifth one for some reason. I can never remember it. Um, but yeah, what is what's Ability Ag's role in this and the, the importance to the agriculture sector? Uh, very important, Ollie. I first met uh, Josie at, a, I guess, another uh, leadership um, course I was doing through Grain Growers Limited, and uh, Josie came up with this concept and idea of uh, creating a building agriculture. Um, it was quite interesting because um, I'd already had sort of leadership experience and um, in my career, and it was the first... I guess, real conversation I had with anybody that I really hadn't um, sort of included my disability or um, sort of in my leadership journey. I'd always been very against um, sort of trying to push sort of disability or so forth into sort of the leadership roles I was in. And that was quite disappointing on my behalf. Um, to realise how much I could give back to the community of um, sort of disabled people was was quite unique, and it was it was a really good, tough conversation I had with Josie that really opened my eyes up uh, to the first time that here is a, a community that um, is very much underrepresented, under resourced, under researched. Um, one of the big um, defining moments, sort of my sort of work with the building agriculture over the last sort of 12 months or so is that how sort of under-resourced, how little sort of money is going towards um, sort of that whole representation of a group so important to these, not just the agriculture community, but the whole um, Australian community, sort of one in four people in Australia have got a disability of, of some type. And it doesn't have to be visual. It can be a um, mental disability. It can be a impairment. 
So we have to really look after everyone and it's being about making sure everyone's included and making sure everyone's comfortable in their own particularly work workspace, but comfortable in our community as well. So it's all the little small things that uh, that often go quite unrecognised that can make such a huge uh, difference uh, to someone's life and someone's particularly sort of um, career and working life as well. So um, those are the sort of things that I certainly have been getting out of ability agriculture. Um, we've been very, at ability agriculture, we've been very fortunate enough that uh, Josie's done such a great, great, um, oh, she's just brilliant at sort of getting the message out and um, sort of representing the community, um, whether it was through Evoke Ag or um, the um, National Women's Award uh, last year that she got runner-up. She's just doing some remarkable things in this space. And just to be part of that uh, journey is quite exciting. And um, and she's just got ideas after ideas, even sort of two or three days ago after um, sort of Christmas and uh, New Year's, she's, she's um, emailed through the, to the board a sort of new idea of um, having a ability check for sort of rural businesses around Australia where um, sort of people with a disability will go into a business and sort of give it a um, sort of ranking or sort of feedback on sort of how how they are doing sort of um, sort of adapting and um, looking at people how they can um, help with disabled people so um, that can be um, as simple as sort of wheelchair access, um, those things, um, hearing's another big thing for a lot of people that walking into a noisy, um, sort of environment, um, makes them very, very uncomfortable and, um, so forth. So just the little things that can, um, help people is so important for ability agriculture. You know, what's interesting and I, well, I'd never really thought about it before this week, but I hadn't even clicked until now, but over say the last the 10 or so interviews I've done while I've been on the road, three people have had hearing aids or hearing assistance. Yeah. And so that's 30% of interviews within yeah, that's quite, this little trip. Yep. And it, yeah, it's interesting. And one thing I've certainly learned about it, building agriculture is linking people together, Ollie. So a lot of businesses and um, people we come across, they want to help and want to um, do something to be able to help people with a disability, but they just don't know, have the means or knowledge of doing so. So, um, through Ability Agriculture, uh, Josie's had the idea and, um, creating a work platform where it's linking sort of employees and employees together and get them talking to see what requirements are needed to get them into the workplace, um, and making sure that they feel comfortable. And, um, and one thing I've also learned is that with technology and so forth, disabled people can do, and for me included that, uh, you know, 10 years ago when I was doing a lot of day-to-day -day farming activities, I knew at a certain point in time where I couldn't, couldn't keep doing the physical activities, whether I was sort of siphon irrigating, um, sort of, um, changing tines or doing points on, on, um, rippers, et cetera. And I, it always used to bother me sort of, you know, what am I going to do with myself when 
once I can't keep up with these physical activities. And it's just amazing through technology that I've been able to, I guess, keep managing um, and being involved in a day-to-day farming activities where, you know, I can sit here in the office in Gundawindi and basically have live feeds of what's um, exactly happening at Condamine on the farms and being able to um, have that sort of um, decision-making ability. So technology is helping people with disability um, no end to to have a career in agriculture. You mentioned before about that you had you hadn't really embraced or as part of your leadership journey you hadn't really put it out there the the disability and what I guess you'd overcome. So since you've I guess embraced that and gone you know what that it does that's part of my story as knowledge and that I'm going to embrace. How's that benefited you? Oh big time Ollie. Um it's amazing even when I won the sort of accolades uh, back in 2012 and 13 you know, I used to hide it to, um, and just used to hide it as much as I could. But looking back, it's quite obviously I had uh, cerebral palsy. I just wasn't prepared to talk about it, and that was that was disappointing because um, now I have decided to talk about it and be very open. Everyone's got a story, and as soon as you're willing to share your story and challenges and sort of things in life, um, people just open up and. Uh, um, whether it's from a professional point of view or um, sort of friendship point of view, you just get so much more out of life and um, so much more uh, satisfaction. Um, one of the biggest things, um, and I don't know if you've done your research or not on this, but um, one of the things a couple of years ago, I decided to start seeing a life coach. Oh, no. Yeah. And, um, Basically, it just felt in life that I was sort of slipping the wheels and not really achieving uh, too much. Um, and yeah, started talking to this uh, life coach and started talking about sort of sport and my hobbies. And I didn't really have um, anything that I was really motivated about. And he suggested um, sort of why don't give para sports a go. And to be honest, up until that time, I didn't want anything to do with sort of para sports because it opened me up into this community and, um, and said that, you know, here you are, you, you're accepting that you are disabled when I could keep up with, with sort of other, um, able-bodied athletes. And to be honest, it's one of the best things I've ever done is to, um, have a crack at, uh, power table tennis and start being involved in that community, having aspirations of hopefully one day, um, playing in the Paralympics, but certainly realizing, um, sort of 12 months on that my ability in uh, table tennis wasn't as, um, as good as I thought it was, but, uh, certainly still putting in the practice and uh, still loving it and just meeting the people that are involved with, uh, para sports has been humbling game change has been one of the best experiences in my life is to understand their challenges and what they've had to to, to, I guess, accomplish things in their life is been, yeah, it's, it's puts things into perspective very quickly and motivates you to do a lot more with, with your life and, uh, be quite accepting. Um, again, going back to those small things of, you know, doing daily exercises or, um, sort of simple, simple things that become a chore in ev- everyday life. But, um, if you do do those things, it becomes very rewarding at the end of the day. So. 
And table tennis is such a small community that it gives you access to, you know, Australian players, Australian coaches. And, um, you know, I've represented Queensland twice at the Australian National Championships of table tennis and being in a hall of, um, you know, Australia's best table tennis players with sort of 40-odd uh, tables playing all at once is is it's it's just great buzz and and uh it certainly gets my competitive spirit back and that sort of determination back to sort of sort of be um yeah really um gets that excitement in life going again so do they allow crowds at them yeah 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 so that's uh, one thing it might end up like darts i reckon no yeah, yeah. uh one thing I didn't realize about uh, table tennis is because I grew up playing a lot of tennis and it was all very hush hush when you during uh time out or when you're playing the games during points, etc. Um table tennis is a complete opposite. The more noise and more more um distracting, particularly the coaches, um can really put you off. And it's something that I've found that competitive uh table tennis that I'm very good at rallying and very good at sort of point. But that psychological sort of gameplay just gets me every time that they can just crack me, <laughs> um, crack me on that sort of um, sort of tie break or match point that just can't can't seem to win. So um, that's what I love about the sport, and um, yeah, so it's it's really good, and everyone's so helpful, and and again that power community, everyone's there to lift you up, no one's there to sort of tear you down, and um, sort of. Um, help. So I've just had some great experience and some great knowledge um, along the way. Um, so that's, yeah, that's sort of been a left field sort of journey of mine that I have to uh, thank Ben Pichelk, my sort of life coach for guiding me and pushing me into it. So I'm glad you went down that pathway because when you mentioned a couple of years ago, I was already going, is table tennis is coming, this, the story. And then when you said life coach, I thought, oh, hang on, maybe we're going down a different tangent. But I reckon, yeah, that is bloody cool and hopefully we do see you playing at the paralympics but otherwise do you have any competitions or anything coming up soon yeah certainly do so uh fixtures start up again in the next few weeks uh, in toowoomba so i travel up to toowoomba uh once a week to play in the sort of weekly fixtures there which is which again is a another community i'd never thought i'd be involved with but it's just such a great unique little community um that's really good and then i'm involved in the uh brisbane table tennis uh, club down there and they're really good uh, people down there. And again, it brings a lot of diversity, um, into your life as well. So, um, people, one of the best things about table tennis is you've got people that can play when they're six year old or when they're 80 year old, and they can be as competitive as ever. So, um, that's very unique and from all different, uh, backgrounds. Uh, one surprising thing is, is sort of Northern European sort of, um, background where I guess the cold winters table tennis is very, um, popular as an indoor sport so um yeah that it's been great to sort of get to know and meet those people along the way Nige, um well i think we're gonna have to find out when when you've got a competition on and we'll see if we can get a crowd there but we'll have to work out so it's in your favor not against you yeah you don't absolutely. want to psych you out yeah, it's like <laughs> me in. um mate, i always ask people about advice around um coming into agriculture but i want to change that question slightly given Everything you've been through, I guess, the, the being accepting yourself for who you are, but also looking at it through the lens of, well, actually, 
yeah, what makes me me can be a superpower as well. Um, what would be your advice to people when it comes to that overcoming the the challenges of your own self talk and and sometimes, yeah, I guess the question is, um, what's your advice to people about getting out of their own way so they can unlock greatness? Yep, I've been very fortunate enough over the years, Ollie, to sort of just have some great mentors and uh, and just different people in my life to really. And it's all about timing to me where they just, whether it's a hint or just a advice to just say, okay, time to step up or um, don't be afraid to give it a go um, would be my uh, mantra of anyone sort of um, looking at leadership or getting involved with, with agriculture or anything in life that uh, particularly for me, uh, you know, my life journey, obviously having that sort of mental breakdown, having depression, um, sort of really being down on myself to turning that around and sort of within, I think, four or five years being awarded Australian um, Farm, Young Australian Farm of the Year was quite a really mindset shift of uh, me to think that, um, you know, here I was not being involved with the community, not putting my hand up for anything um, to here I was being brave enough to put my hand up and just get involved. And that's all it, that's all it is, whether it's my board roles and industry involvement, it's that whole uh, presence of being in the moment, um, having the conversation and um, having the ability to uh, put your hand up and give something a go. A lot of people do sort of say that, you know, why put your hand up so much and why get involved with the community or industry um, things when when you're trying to run your own business or sort of do things at home. But it's just so rewarding to uh, be in other people's presence and always learning um, different things off them and being in different sort of community and different groups. And um, I think it's just human nature that we we are sort of group orientated and we learn from each other so that's the biggest thing i've learned in my life is is by putting your hand up to say you're going to do things it gives you an opportunity to sit around the table with some fascinating and some remarkable people that you're going to learn things off and um yeah sort of you know bring skills and um, knowledge back to back to your own business and farm so well Nige, thank you so much for the chance to sit down i think your story is extraordinary and I think so many other people will benefit from different pieces of the puzzle which you've kind of I guess been through so thank you so much for sitting down and having a chat no thanks Ollie anytime enjoyed it cheers mate well that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture we hope you're enjoying these podcasts and well if you're not let us know hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com get in touch with any guest recommendations topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.